Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. Uh, here's a particular... I want to start off this episode by saying this. There's a particular subject that I brought up back in, I want to say, February. And I don't expect anybody to remember this. But I brought it up and I simply said back in February that I'm working on something and that I can't discuss it right now, but a time will come when I can discuss it. Well, that time is now. So I want to go back in time and bring up what I was doing during this particular length of time, I suppose, or certainly back in the month of of February. That, of course, was when the Super Bowl was. And myself and other individuals in the town where I live, we ended up catching one of the school board members engaging in what is a legal activity for an elected official. It specifically had to do with, I'll give you the broad point and I'll get get into some of the specifics. It specifically had to do with this individual who is a male. His name is David Bothast, B-O-T-H-A-S-T. He's a school board member, newly elected as of January. He took office in January of 2022. He was elected on Dominion voting machines, I might add, in November of 2021. And so he was utilizing Facebook. And keep in mind something else too here, which is a detail that's worth mentioning. He's he's a school teacher in a neighboring school district. So he's a school teacher in a neighboring school district, but he is also a school board member in another school district, which just so happens to be the school district where his husband works and their two adopted um, black children, boys, both of them boys. And so on Facebook and on social media, he basically says the following, and keep in mind he can't sue me for defamation because I've already filed the complaint with the Ohio Ethics Commission, which I'll get into that business later, but I uh, I have all of the proof. I have everything printed out. I have this guy dead to rights. And we had him dead to rights back then as well. So what he did was, is he solicited money for his husband and their two adopted children to go to the Super Bowl. Number one, you can't do that as an elected official. Number two, you can't do that and solicit money from school teachers when you are a school board member. It gets worse. He also received money from one of his son's teachers. Again, this breaks endless violations, ethics violations, without a doubt. You, you just cannot do this. You would think that would be common sense, but you just can't do it. In fact, Ohio law is so clear that it's recommended that as an elected official, you don't take anything for free. And I mean anything. You don't let anybody buy you lunch. You don't let anybody buy you breakfast or dinner. You don't let somebody buy you a t-shirt or a coffee mug. You pay for everything yourself on your own dime. And if you don't, there will be people out there who will catch you. And again, these people don't seem to understand that when they sneeze, we write it down, and that when they cough, we pay attention. So 
he was posting, he was making all of these posts on his open public Facebook page, and he did the exact same thing with a GoFundMe account. So he started a GoFundMe account telling people initially that he wanted to send his husband and his two sons, who are diehard Bengals fans, to the Super Bowl. He also ended up, you have to bear with me here because I'm doing a lot of this from memory. I have the papers to my left in a folder here, but uh, I would rather just go off of memory here. He then relied on the online apps that exist to receive money from individuals. And it just so happens that the individuals who donated to his anonymous online app money acceptance apps, basically, many of those were school teachers, including, again, his his son's teacher, who openly says in these Facebook posts that she has, in fact, donated to him so that their sons and his husband can go to the Super Bowl. The individuals who donated over the GoFundMe page were not school employees, by all accounts. Now, I believe there was roughly, mm, I want to, well, I'm not entirely sure of the number at this point, but it was in the hundreds of dollars he had received on the GoFundMe account. There's no way that I would be able to know the amount of money that he had received from school employees, including his son's teacher at the time, over the, again, Cash App and, and the, other, the, other at, you know, the other apps, basically, that accept money. So all of that took place. And then later on in these posts, it became clearer that David Bothist had already purchased the tickets but was now looking for other people to essentially pay for it. And that wouldn't it again be great to send my kids to the Super Bowl because they've always wanted to and whatever else. Keep in mind, this is a gay man with two adopted children who just happen to be black. So it should be pretty clear that he's using all of that to his advantage in order to again perhaps see who will give him money and who won't, uh, who will criticize him for what he's doing and who won't, again, who accepts it and who won't. Of course, someone in a position like that doing what they're doing is doing it for power and influence. Again, remarkably unethical, but that's who these people are, and that's, that's just what these people do. So, the 90 days passed regarding the investigation. I contacted both the ethics board. In fact, I made the superintendent know this, and I also alerted the county commissioner to this also. And as you would expect, as, as it would be the case, the superintendent probably contacted Bothist and said, hey, look, here's what's going on. They, of course, never emailed me back except for the county commissioner, to which they said, the commissioner's office, to which they said, contact the ethics commission at the state level, which I did. So at that very moment, the superintendent knew that I was coming after and that we were coming after one of their board members because, again, they broke the law. It's crystal clear 
It's not, this is not brain surgery. This just so happens to become, again, a ridiculous process where you would think that the right thing would happen, and yet, as of right now, there's no telling as to what has actually happened. So I contacted recently the ethics board. The individual got back to me, and I said, so how are things going? Knowing full well that under state law and state statute, they don't have to tell me, and they can't tell me. So that's one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up, too, is because I want people to understand that these individuals who work for these ethics commissions, when you file a formal complaint, the way that it works is, is they let you know that they have received your, your, your proof, your evidence of wrongdoing, and then they meet as a board, and then they make a decision as to whether or not this is a prosecutable offense. And then they send it down to a county prosecutor. Keep in mind, the county prosecutors where I live are all jabbed. They're all good old boys and they're all jabbed. Um, not to mention, if they see the, the, the gay label and the two black kid adopted kids label, they might just chalk this up to you know a hand slapping. Something like that. We'll just slap his hand and then that'll be it. Uh, beyond that, I want to read this process here for the investigative process regarding the Ethics Commission. And again, this is just for the state of Ohio. But before I do, again, in that phone call, I, I, I knew full well that he wasn't going to be able to tell me what was going on. But I pressed him and I pressed him and I pressed him. And he just kept saying, unless someone like a prosecutor uh, lets go of a press release publicly, regarding this individual in this particular case or what they have done, you're not going to find out. They said that they as an ethics commission can't tell me, even though I was the person who made the formal complaint in writing. And then, of course, like I said earlier, you send them your proof, all of it in writing, screenshots of everything. I had everything on this. I had everything on this scumbag. I had everything. And then, and then they end up sending you a letter back saying, we are in receipt of all your information. We appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. Now we're going to take it over and X, Y, Z. So I just pressed him and he, and he basically said that they can't tell me anything about the process and that the only way that they would ever hear about it is if, if a county prosecutor took up the case and decided to make a press release. That's the only way. That's the only way that we would ever find out about it. So I'm mentioning this to people because it's remarkably unfair, the entire process. And oh, isn't it funny? The Ethics Commission is remarkably unethical. Doesn't it seem like the person who is directly involved with making the formal complaint would be the person that you would tell as to what's going on? It wouldn't, it's no different than any other kind of criminal case. A person you know, a, a person fills out a police report for the arrest of somebody because they, uh, one of their family members has been murdered. And the, the family who, you know, the murdered individual wants to know how the investigation is going on the individual for whom they made the formal complaint against. But that's not how this process works. So I wanted to bring this up because, again, I don't know where things stand with this particular individual. He's still a, he's still a dirtbag. He'll always be a dirtbag. 
all of the board members will always be dirtbags along with the superintendent. They're all remarkably unethical. Most of them are criminals, but at least they're all jabbed. So, you know, there's that ticking time bomb that's coursing through their veins. But at the exact same time, I wanted to read the investigative process here for the Ethics Commission so that people get a pretty good idea as to what they can and cannot do. So the investigative process says the following, the overview. It says, quote, any information indicating that a public official or employee may have violated provisions of the ethics law can be referred to the ethics agency that has jurisdiction over the public official or employee in question. Allegation forms are available from the Ethics Commission to refer potential violations of the ethics law by public officials and employees. Please be aware that all commission investigations and hearings are confidential. Breach of confidentiality by commission members or employees is potentially a criminal offense. So me mentioning this, again, I'm not an employee with them. I'm not violating anything by bringing this up. Uh, because again, something should have already happened by this point. And that's why I'm talking about it is because nothing has happened to my knowledge. Uh, with that said, when I first made the formal complaint, I did it over email. The same day, probably 40 minutes later, I got an email from the guy who takes these complaints, and we talked over the phone, and I laid it out to him. And again, he basically said, you, it has to be like you're building um, an ice cream sundae. You have to have the bowl, then you have to have the ice cream, then you have to have the whipped cream on top of that, and if you have the cherry on top, that's even better. And so I laid it out for him, and I said, here's what we have. I said, this guy was soliciting money to go to the Super Bowl. Not, not that he went to the Super Bowl, because apparently he himself didn't go, but he sent his, uh, he sent his husband and their two adopted kids, allegedly. Allegedly, it was just the three of them and not the four of them. And then... Uh, Although, again, that's why this would be worth investigating, because that would be the first thing you would ask the individual under oath. Did you yourself buy a ticket for yourself to go to the Super Bowl with your family members, yes or no? Because somebody there was taking photographs of these people, of the three of them. Who was taking all the pictures? Were there complete strangers taking the pictures, or was it, was it he himself? See, there's more here, which is why this is something that should have been investigated if it wasn't, or you know, it should have been prosecuted if it if it already hasn't been. Again, there's no way that there's no way that we would find that out, which is what sucks about the process. But when I talked to the guy over the phone initially, who got back to me, he basically said, "Oh yeah, you've you've got it all. You've got it all right here." He said, "Just make sure you send everything, and it's crystal clear, and and whatever else." I mean, I had the cherry on top, is the point. And the people sending me this information, they were all over the town. Again, they were sending me this information because they too caught him. You know, they lurk on those boards, and they're looking at Facebook pages and this, that, and the other. And these these dumbasses are so stupid that they just put their illegality out there for everybody to see. It's amazing. But that's, that's what criminals do. I mean, that's why murderers get caught, because they're sloppy. And that's why criminals get caught, because they're sloppy. And, of course, they don't think they're being criminals. They don't think they're hurting anybody. It was all in good fun and blah, blah, blah. Just wanted to send our kids to the Super Bowl because they're Bengals fans. That, that doesn't matter. 
You're an elected official. You can't take one red cent from anybody ever. But he didn't know that. So this continues. This is the investigative process now. It says, quote, When a charge or allegation of unethical conduct is received by the Ethics Commission, staff first reviews the allegation to determine whether the alleged misconduct, if true, falls within the investigative authority of the Ethics Commission. If the allegation is not within the Commission's authority, then staff will contact the sender and make whatever referrals are appropriate. If the allegation is within the Commission's jurisdiction, staff will review the matter with the Commission, which may direct the staff to conduct a confidential investigation. Now, they never got back to me and said that the allegation was not within the Commission's authority, which would indicate that they did, in fact, do a confidential investigation. It then says, after a thorough investigation, Commission staff reviews the results with the Commission to determine how the case should be resolved. See, this is where it's, this is where it's real gray. This is the gray area. What does that mean, resolved? And then it says, possible outcomes include closing the matter due to insufficient evidence to support a violation of the ethics law, resolving the case under the Commission's settlement authority, or sharing the results with the appropriate prosecuting authority. So there's three outs in this entire process, two of which are not prosecution, which means the likelihood of you getting someone prosecuted for an ethics violation is 33%. I hate that number. Uh, It continues, complaint hearings. A citizen may also file a sworn complaint by submitting a sworn affidavit allegedly Uh, alleging facts that support a specific violation of the ethics law. However, commission rules require that the affiant demonstrate, I think that's how you say that, affiant, Uh, maybe not, demonstrate specific personal knowledge of all of the facts and evidence that support each element of a violation. In most instances, it is not necessary to file a formal complaint in order to submit an allegation to the commission. Then it says, please call the Ethics Commission for further guidance. Now again, was I directly involved? No, because I don't work there. Did he solicit money from me personally? No. He put all of this out there in the public for anybody to see, for anyone. Here's where the, the, the case even got a little more weird. The, his husband, this school board member, David Bothist, his husband is a real estate agent in town. And he too uh, was, uh, he, he sat on, I believe, the elementary school parent teacher board, something like that. He was the president of the elementary, one of the elementary schools. There are three elementary schools, but he was on one of them. Uh, and he sat on that particular parent's parent board, parent teacher board, which I believe is where his son also went, his adopted son. So you can see the incestuous nature of this entire thing. His husband's a school board member. He sits on a parent-teacher board at an elementary school, and both of their adopted children attend the same school. Not to mention, again, they solicited money from one of the teachers who willfully sent them money so that they could go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a, that's a serious violation and it's something that should be prosecuted. 
the complaint hearings section continues. It says, quote, commission staff may also file a formal sworn complaint based upon information and belief before the Ethics Commission, alleging that a public official or employee has violated the ethics law. These complaints typically involve persons who have knowingly failed to comply with the financial disclosures filing requirement, which, of course, they haven't. Uh, It says the Ethics Commission reviews the complaint and determines whether there is reasonable cause to believe that the facts constitute a violation. If so, the commission then schedules a confidential hearing before the commission or a designated hearing examiner. If the commission schedules a hearing, the public official or employee has an opportunity to defend himself or herself and may be represented by a lawyer. All hearings are closed to the public. In this case, ladies and gentlemen, they would have to do this because it was crystal clear. Not only did I have screenshots of everything, but I attached a piece of paper to each screenshot to show the commission what it is that they were about to look at. And I put everything in chronological order. I mean, <laughs> it was open and sh- it was open and shut. Now, keep in mind, I don't know how this has resolved itself. If it has, I still don't know. The guy wouldn't tell me, and it's long past the time when this guy should have been prosecuted or brought up on these charges, or at the very least removed from his elected uh, his elected position. But I don't know about any of that yet. It then says, after a hearing, the commission decides on a preponderance of the evidence whether the facts stated in the complaint constitute a violation of the ethics law. If the commission finds that a violation has occurred, it then determines whether its findings should be referred to the appropriate prosecutor for criminal prosecution. The referral will remain uh, confidential unless the prosecutor fails to act on the referral within 90 days. If the prosecutor fails to take any action with respect to the referral, the commission may publicly comment that the referral was made. So, this basically means that the prosecutor has 90 days to say something. And it says, again, I'm going to read that last part. It says, the referral will remain confidential unless the prosecutor fails to act on the referral within 90 days. If the prosecutor fails to take any action with respect to the referral, the commission may publicly comment that the referral was made. Okay. Then says if the commission finds that a violation of the law is not supported by any evidence, it will dismiss the complaint. All information considering the complaint will remain confidential unless the person charged in the complaint requests that it be made public. They wouldn't want it to be made public. So again, that last sentence is crystal clear. It says, again, the commission doesn't have to tell anybody who made the complaint what occurred and whether or not they just dropped all the charges. Not to mention, why would the person who was contacted and accused want to make this public? They wouldn't. They would want to bury it. Penalties for violation. Financial disclosure is the first. Failing to file file a financial disclosure statement in violation of RC section, a bunch of numbers, is a fourth-degree misdemeanor criminal offense punishable by a fine up to $250 and or a maximum of 30 days in jail. Uh, Let's see. There you go. Filing a false financial disclosure statement in violation of blah, 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 blah 
is a first-degree misdemeanor criminal offense punishable by a fine of up to $1,000 or a maximum of six months in jail. Conflict of interest is the second portion. Sounds like a conflict of interest, does it not? Certainly financial disclosure, conflict of interest, unlawful interest in a public contract, and the fourth one, which I'll read later, soliciting or receiving improper compensation. Uh, Here we go. Number two, conflict of interest, violations of RC sections 102.03, and there are a bunch more, are a first-degree misdemeanor criminal offense punishable by a fine of $1,000 or a maximum of six months in jail. Number three, unlawful interest in a public contract. Violation again, are fourth-degree felony criminal offenses punishable by a fine of $5,000 and or a maximum of 18 months in prison. Violation of RC sections 2921.42A3 through A5 are first-degree misdemeanor criminal offenses punishable by a fine of $1,000 and or a maximum of six months in jail. And then section four, soliciting or receiving improper compensation. Violations of RC section 2921.43 are first-degree misdemeanor criminal offenses punishable by a fine of $1,000 and or a maximum of six months in jail. In addition, a public servant who is convicted of a violation of RC Section 2921.43 is disqualified from holding any public office, employment, or position of trust in the state for a period of seven years from the date of conviction. CRC Section 2921.43E. And there you go. Which means, again, if they've done this as a school board member, they have to vacate office, given the fact that this David Bothist is also a school teacher in a neighboring school district. Seems to me they would have to leave their position as a school teacher as well. Because we're talking about, again, employment or position of trust in this state of Ohio. So there you have it. The reason I'm mentioning this again is because I don't like this ethics commission and how they can't tell the formal complaint maker what exactly has taken place. They can't tell me. They can't, they can't tell anybody. And they use statutes to defend themselves in saying that they can't. Fine. If that's the case, that needs to be changed then. The statutes need to be removed. As I said earlier, if a murder had taken place, the family has the right to know how the investigation is going. What evidence do you have? Are there people out there that you know know more uh, what, what specifically is going on? But that doesn't happen in this case. Again, elected officials have more, they just have, uh, they have more to play with, so to speak. There's more leeway, which is unfortunate, but this is the state of affairs in our country. And this, again, is another reason why people should leave public schools. They should leave public schools because these kinds of people inhabit these positions because these are the kinds of people they are. By nature, they are this way. They are controlling. They are dumb. They are law-breaking. They break the law. They don't even know they're breaking the law or they break the law and they know fully well what they're doing. And again. Let's use Hillary Clinton as an example. Playing dumb isn't a legal excuse. 
knowingly or unknowingly. It does not matter. I didn't know I was speeding. I didn't know I was speeding. I didn't know I blew through that stop sign. That doesn't matter. You broke the law. The evidence was crystal clear again of what I sent the Ethics Commission, and there you go. So, time's going to tell on this one. There are a lot of ears on the ground regarding this particular matter. Um, the next move might be sending some information to the media, but again, this is this is uh, this is a touchy one for even them, because it's the Degenerate Pride Month, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, yeah, we've got two married guys with their two adopted boys, and three out of the four of them, or four out of the four of them, went to the Super Bowl on uh, money funded and paid for by school teachers. Absolutely ridiculous. So there's that. Okay, next subject. Here's what I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to elaborate a little bit on this talk again, which I, I, I brought it up in the last episode, but it has to do again with Biden uh, and his fake administration mashed potato brains using the school lunches as leverage for uh, pushing the LGBTXYZ agenda within schools. My answer to this is remarkably simple. Again, you heard me say in the last episode that it's remarkably illegal. That's that's number one. Number two, how about you just do away with free school lunches? How about, how about that? Free and reduced lunches. Just do away with them. Make everyone pay. Because again, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We know that. Taxpayers are the ones who are paying for it. But when in the hell did it become a state of affairs in public schools where schools became soup kitchens? When did that start? It's probably always been that way since the early, uh, early 1900s and the industrialization of, of American schools. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But this is, this is, too, beyond unethical. It's downright illegal. Um, it's extortion, by all accounts, from what I can tell. And again, when you have these politicians, again, I'm, I'm going to criticize some of them here, so you know you may disagree, but people like Governor Kristi Noem from South Dakota, you know, I saw a video of her on Gab, and she's staring into her phone as she's holding up a piece of paper, and she's reading off of a piece of paper what she's saying to Joe Biden. If she can't just ring this off without reading it from a script, there's a problem there. That's number one. Number two, she's saying, hey, look, we've won in court against you and your administration before. We'll sue you again if, uh, if you decide to take away free and reduced lunch if we don't push your LGBT agenda. Again, if Christy Nome had any stones, which she doesn't, nor a spine, she would simply say, fine. We're not pushing your LGBT degenerate agenda on anybody. We're just going to take away free lunches anyway, and that's going to save everybody a whole lot of money in the state of South Dakota. But she doesn't do that because even she is big government. Even she recognizes that schools, public schools, are soup kitchens and that it actually doesn't take much to receive a free lunch. 
or a free breakfast or even free dinner as a K-12 school student. It really doesn't take a whole lot. You fill out a piece of paper, you sign the bottom saying you're telling the truth, and before you know it, you've got three squares a day under a cinder block building that's air-conditioned. Sounds like prison, doesn't it? Pretty much is. They mimic each other in many, many ways. But again, why these politicians are, are saying, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to give our kids free and reduced lunches, you know, because they use that word kids all the time, government kids, government's kids rather. But it, they can give students free and reduced lunches anytime that they want because they know that they have the funds there. What's, what's interesting is that they're losing the funds. They're continuously losing the money now, and they're going to start feeling the pinch. But keep in mind, they're going to do whatever they can to keep free and reduced lunch there anyway. They're going to do it. And they're going to keep pushing their degenerate agenda because they're receiving money for that too. They have to keep documentation of all of that. They have to send it all the way up the chain of command. They have to say, look, here's what we're doing, and we've decided to do this. But they don't have to do it, and that's the point. The state government doesn't have to accept it. They don't have to make it bills. They don't have to make it laws. They, they don't have to do any of that. And local government, which is what a school board is, gets to say no. They get to say, we're not doing this. We're not pushing this anymore. We're not going to have, again, your degenerate alphabet agenda, and we're, we're not going to have free and reduced lunch anymore. They can make those measures possible if they want to. It just, again, boils down to what state official is going to come down to the local level and, and prosecute them for doing so. But point is, is they don't have any courage. And they think that they're standing up for people, but they're not. And standing up for free and reduced lunch is not really standing up for students. Pulling them out of public schools and calling public schools what they are and exposing them for what they are, that's what should be happening. But you're never going to hear that from people who have the largest soapboxes with the biggest mega horns. You're, you're, you're never going to hear that from them because they too play the game. And they too get certain kickbacks and they're surrounded by lobbyists, which are basically just leeches and so on and so forth. So leaving these environments and allowing them to crumble under the weight again of their own lies is the only way forward here. And I think, again, that's a that's a good thing, and it's happening. It's happening all over the place. Uh, you know, there's a story last week that was tossed my way about Baltimore schools that 30 Baltimore schools closed early, and were closing early uh, because of their their broken air conditioning units. I mean, what happened to all that CARES cash? Did you not fix your AC units because of COVID? I thought it was airborne. I thought we were all going to die because everybody's breathing in the same air and it travels in the air. This mysterious unseen virus that no one can, you know, seem to locate except for through a CGI picture. But they all have busted AC units and uh, yeah, that don't work. Where'd all that cash go, Baltimore? Where'd all that money go? And I bet they got a ton of it. So that's that regarding, regarding the lunch issue. You know, these politicians make me sick and they should make you sick too because just because they have an R next to their name or a pretty face doesn't mean 
that they have a spine because they don't. They're elected on purpose. They're in that office on purpose. They're blackmailed, they're bought, they're sold. They made a bad transaction along the way and somebody's holding that over their head. That's how they get there. And there's only so far that they'll go. There's only so much truth that they'll tell. Before you know it, you know, they up for re-election and then they're on a Dominion voting machine and then they end up not winning. And then the machine ends up putting somebody else in, the people machine that is, ends up putting somebody else in that they want in there. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Again, I'm not blackpilling. I'm just saying like this is, this is the way that it goes. This is, you know, this is the entire process. That too is why I don't like, you know, I, I don't like hearing individuals say, you just got to fix things at the, at the county level, fix things at the county level, and then you'll take your country back. No, I like Jordan Maxwell just like the next person. He was a bright guy. He highlighted the enemy, shined a spotlight on the enemy for decades, and he was 100% right. But I don't think Jordan Maxwell even understands how bad the county level is. And I've said this before too, it bears repeating, it's very difficult for someone such as myself, who knows what I know, am red-pilled to the bone, know that the Texas shooting was a false flag, completely fake, nobody, nobody died, no one was shot anyway, that didn't happen, but somebody like me taking office, people won't vote for me. They won't vote for me because they vote based on what they think they know. And if I were to show up, for example, and run for county commissioner, and they'd say, well, why in the hell would you want to do something like that? And, you know, wh wh how are you qualified? I'd say, well, I'm a citizen here and I'm qualified. And then, of course, I would start asking them questions about historic events that have occurred in our country that are, you know, that counter the mainstream narrative. And I would make these people look foolish. You know, the same is true with a sheriff, with a sheriff for a county. Anyone can run for sheriff, but only a sheriff will win. Only a person who has been a sheriff some other place or in the police profession will win. You don't have to be in the police profession to be a sheriff of a, of a county. You don't have to. You just have to be a citizen of the United States of America to be a, to be a sheriff. But if I wanted to run against Richard Jones in Butler County, Ohio, would I win? Of course not. I'm not a Mason. I'm not a part of the Fraternal Order of Police. And all of these people are insulated. But a debate would be a cool thing because, again, I would say to Richard Jones something like this. Do you know that these shots are a biological weapon? Do you know that it is a eugenics poison? Why are you not prosecuting and arresting the people that work at the county level, at the county health department, providing them the documentation that has been sent to you? I mean, I, you know, before you know it, I'd, have, I'd be wearing cement shoes in the bottom of a lake. So, you know, I admire, again, Jordan Maxwell and these people that are saying, hey, it's, it's all at the local level. My, my solution is far more simple than that. It's you walk away from these people completely. Act as if the position doesn't even exist. You can pay attention to who you're voting for, and I recommend again that, yes, vote for someone else if you want to. But then again, the default switch for me is on what voting machine. See, it's come out recently that the Dominion voting machines don't work. We already knew that.
I knew that back in, oh God, 2018, somewhere around there. That's when I started to learn about these machines. I knew that the electronic machines were nasty already, which is why the first time I voted for Donald Trump in 2020, I used paper. Ba- I used a paper ballot. But what machine counted that paper ballot? Did the paper ballot just wipe its backside with with my, you know, with my paper ballot? Probably. Did the machine do that anyway? Yeah, probably. But again, w- with all of the proof out there and all of these positions still being held by these same people. They're, they're going to continue to be voted on by the brain dead because the brain dead are all jabbed now. They see a familiar name on a ballot and they vote for that. They're not going to go, oh, wow, who's this, you know, who's this Sean Brooks guy? Who's this person? And then, of course, they look me up and, you know, I'm, I'm this, that, or the other to them. But people vote for who's comfortable and who's familiar. They don't vote for what's right because they don't know how deep that rabbit hole goes. Let me give you another example. Again, this was something I mentioned in the last episode, but it bears repeating because there's more news about it now. A bill has been pushed through the Ohio legislature regarding teachers carrying guns. And I believe now it's either on the desk of Mike DeWine or about to be signed or not quite signed or it's still being worked out, whatever it may be. The specifics are almost irrelevant. As I said in the last episode, though, this is a deep state plan to get real guns in schools in the hands of as many people as humanly possible so that they can manufacture either a real shooting or a fake one. Very easy to send someone in, a bad guy will say, fully armed to the teeth, to take a, oh, I don't know, take their own weapon against a teacher, kill them, and then take the teacher's weapon, and then shoot up some other people. And before you know it, whoops, the, the, teacher's, the teacher's bullets found their way into students or other employees. Now, that's a manufactured scenario that I just made up off the top of my head, but my point is, is that this is a trick. And there are countless individuals, again, online, who claim to be awake, and they're applauding this. They're saying things quite like this, and they don't even live in Ohio where I live. Which, by the way, I guarantee the next fake mass shooting is going to occur in Ohio. I want to get that out there right now. I mean, (laughs) it might as well be. It might as well be. This legislation opens the door for all of that right now. It'll probably happen tomorrow. I mean, who's who's to say? Why not? But that's what they want. They want more manufactured crisis because that will create their manufactured predetermined solution and reaction in front of that. Look at this reaction that they get from both the left and the right. They're complete polar opposites. The left says no one should have a gun ever F the Constitution. That's what the left says. The right says we need to arm more people and make it easier for people to get arms, including teachers. That's on the other side of the spectrum. Neither one of those is the solution. It's just not my opinion. And this is my opinion, and I understand that that people will disagree, but I'm asking people to see this multidimensionally. This isn't Street Fighter on Sega Genesis or in the arcade. 
it's not it's not a basic two dimensional game. This is this is three D, four D, five D, seven D chess. You've you've got to be able to see all the way around, over top, underneath, and inside of this issue. Again, it puts any legislation like this puts guns in endless people's hands. And like I've told you in the in the last you know in the last episode of the show that I don't trust a lot of these teachers to do their jobs, let alone walk around with a gun on their hip. A lot of them are full of themselves, and they think to themselves, well, you know, I'm the best teacher in the building, and well, now I've got a gun. Whether the gun is on their hip or the gun is in a locked case, in a locked drawer someplace, students are going to constantly be asking them about the gun. Are, are you one of the teachers that has a gun? Do you have a gun in here? And then, of course, the, the teacher will do the same thing, and, and they'll say, hey, look, I've got a gun in here. Just want to let everybody know there's a gun in here. It's like, okay. If it takes you two keys to get to a gun that's not even loaded with one in the pipe, you're already dead by then. If a real mass shooting took place in a school, which they don't, because they're manufactured, all they have to do is hire another police officer or two who are more interested in keeping the place safe than they are hitting on the secretaries. I mean, if they, if they actually did their job, the place would tend to be a little bit safer, but turning schools into a police state that looks like a mining camp for young robots to just, you know, get tossed right into the meat grinder, that's exactly what they want. They want the school environment to look more like a boot camp uh, military base. That's That's the issue there. So... On the issue of do you support guns in school in the hands of teachers, the answer is no because it's all based on a lie. Like I said, these accounts that that claim to be awake, some of them, their handles and uh, you know their handles on on Gab, for example, are the Great Awakening. And this person, I saw their post and it said, you know, congratulations, Ohio. Everybody needs to do what Ohio's doing. No, they don't. The, the, the shooting in Texas didn't happen. It was fake. Again, legislation that is based on a lie is worse than the lie. But that's the manufactured response that's already manufactured, and both sides already know that. The enemy in particular, who's the puppet master at the top, pulling the strings, they know that that will be the standard stereotypical response from politicians. And parents, again, who are dumb enough to believe all these mass shootings, they'll believe it too. Yes, we do need armed teachers. That'll make my kids safe. Of course. Yes, that's the way. How about you just protect your own kid? And, I mean, I thought you were, I thought as a parent, that was your job. Or is it, again, the job of parents to hand their children over to government and tell government how to raise and protect their children? For the love of God, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, we're not going to wake up from this. Too many people are still too dead asleep. They can have all the online handles they want. Cue this and, uh, you know, Great Awakening, that and whatever else. If they can't see this multidimensionally and see the answer multidimensionally, they haven't learned anything. They just haven't. And that's not a good thing. Because like I said in past episodes over the last couple of weeks, if this fake mass shooting hasn't taught us anything at all, let it be the only thing that it's taught us is that 
Countless individuals who claimed that they were awake are in fact not. They still can't see the chessboard. They still can't see the pieces on the board from multiple angles. And that's a huge problem. So, you know, just in summary on this particular issue before I, uh, before I bring up some, some of the Pfizer revelations from these documents, sort of summarizing everything that I've brought up thus far. If you're an elected official, I don't trust you. I don't trust you at all. And I never will because you're an elected official. You're more susceptible to bribery, blackmail. You probably got in office on a Dominion voting machine, which is fraudulent. And you're not awake. And you're not telling the truth. What politician have you heard publicly say the school shooting, quote unquote, in Texas did not happen? How many politicians have you heard say it didn't happen? So does that mean that every single politician who watched this whole thing play out believes it happened? No. There are politicians out there who know it didn't happen. But there are too many stupid ones that do believe it happened. But the ones that don't believe it happened and aren't speaking out, they're no different than the dummies. They're no different than those dumb ones that haven't figured it out yet. They're equally as bad, if not worse, because they're holding their tongues. And I have a problem with that. Everybody should have a problem with that. Until we reach a stage in this country where you can tell the truth in the face of a lie all of the time, whether it be on the radio, television, or coming out of a politician's mouth, we're not, we're not going to move forward here. We aren't going to fix ourselves, in my opinion. You may recall the custom caskets, so to speak, that were allegedly being made for these kids who didn't die. Uh, one of the individuals who listens to the podcast contacted a funeral home and a custom casket builder around where they live and simply asked some basic questions. And again, they don't live in the same state, but it doesn't matter. And they essentially said, these individuals who make custom caskets, they said, look, it takes three to four days to make a single custom casket, not to mention the amount of time that it takes to ship it, which takes equally as long. So this story about having custom caskets uh, for these kids who aren't dead, who weren't shot in this school, that's completely fake. Again, I, I knew that the math didn't line up, but the timing certainly doesn't either. And there you go. There's that story then. There's two other crisis actors, actually three now that have come out. And I, and I don't recall if I mentioned the one, but I want, I want to start with this woman again too. I know that I said this on, uh, on Gab, but like I said in the past, sometimes I'll make posts on Gab and then I'll wonder whether or not I said it on the podcast. The woman who was claiming to be, well, I'll start off with this. The woman who is in the BitChute video that I have on my BitChute channel that's 50, 58, 59 minutes long, who I picked out as being suspicious, and you may recall me bringing her up with a short black hair, with the tasseled, uh, you know, torn, torn jean shorts, and the black shirt with the black glasses, and all the different identifiers that I think I mentioned in the past with, again, the, a, uh, a BBC article saying that she was a, a school teacher although they failed to identify who she was specifically. She came out apparently in this local Texas report 
which I think I played in a previous episode. But again, they blurred out her face. But they're failing to identify who she is, that she wants to remain you know, anonymous because she, uh, you know, for her own protection. Well, I got on their website, the school's website, Rob Elementary School, and every single teacher is listed there, all their names. And you can click on every single one and see a picture of all of these individuals who work there, allegedly. Now, it just so happens that there's at least six staff members who have no information whatsoever when you click on their name. There's no picture, there's no identifier, there's no subject they teach, nothing. So just randomly, you have six people who cannot be identified, and this individual happens to be one of them. Again, what are the odds? It's a crisis actor, without a doubt. Uh, There's also been the story, again, that's been making the rounds on all the news channels, CBS, ABC, NBC, whatever, of, again, the fake mom who runs into the building, runs past security and uh, is threatened to be arrested and detained and deported or whatever, or something like that. Uh, it, you know, if she, if she won't stand down and not run in and grab her kids. Ladies and gentlemen, in that same bit shoot video, you see her at the beginning of the video, approximately 26 minutes in. And I would say go to the 26-minute mark of that video and just start watching. Because here's what you'll see. And I'm not telling you what to see. You'll see this on your own. In the parking lot, first of all, I should say this. The guy who's filming it is across the street from the parking lot of the building. So he's standing in the grass in this intersection. And, he's, and his, his phone camera is pointed right into the parking lot where you can clearly see a group of students and adults just standing there calmly. Some of them are sitting on the back of a pickup truck, on the, on the bumper of a pickup truck. I believe it's a white pickup truck. They're all just standing there calmly. No one's running away. Everybody's just standing there. And then approximately at the 26 minute and 35 second mark, out of that crowd of parents and students runs this quote unquote mother in a blue shirt and a blue hat. And she runs with two kids in both of her in both of her hands. Now these are the two kids she's claiming are hers. They're not her kids. They're all running out. And she drops them off right next to this guy. And she says to them, stay here. I'm going back to get Vladimir. She turns around and she is seen running back toward the school. The guy with the phone then says, hey, guys, wait here, wait here, wait here for your mom. Wait here for your mom. And then, of course, the kid, both kids turn around, walk past him. They're not crying. They have big smiles on their faces, whatever else. She then comes back at the 2732 mark, just approximately one minute later, and there's no one with her. There's no kid with her. There's nothing. Again, she didn't go back to get anybody, and she wasn't being threatened by police. She was just acting. And she's bad at it, I might add, but she was just acting. And then, just a couple of seconds later, as she runs toward her kids, they're not her kids, but she runs toward them, and then she stops, and she's on her cell phone, and she turns around. When she does that, she then walks back toward the guy with the camera, toward the school, into the street again, and she's gone. Her kids, which aren't her kids, are quite literally running in the opposite direction. 
further away from the school down the street. If they were really her kids, why would she leave them alone during an actual shooting? If they were really her kids, why would she be doing anything that she's doing? Why, why, why wouldn't you stay with your children during that entire time? Why wouldn't you run them to your automobile and then drive home? Because the entire thing was a play. The whole thing was a play. Again, the timestamps, I, I put them out on my gab. I even took screenshots of this if you want to check it out. Again, the 26, 35-minute mark, she runs with the kids. At the 27-minute and 32-second mark, she runs back. At the 27-minute and 35-second mark, just a few seconds later, you can see her running away from the school again or walking away from the school again empty-handed. And then she's gone in the opposite direction, and her kids are gone in the opposite direction because they're not her kids. Everybody was acting. The whole thing was a lie. Also. That story of the guy who was in the barber shop and he was off duty and grabbed a shotgun and ran into the building to save his wife who worked in the building and saved their daughter who was inside the building, blah, blah, blah. This guy's making the rounds on all the shows too, including Laura Ingram. And again, this guy is a crisis actor. He's acting. And he has a sling on his right arm. Why? Did he get shot? Let's see the wound. As I said on Gab, let's see the wound. Show us your wound. I even, I even watched a part of that little Laura Ingram clip, and he couldn't answer very specific questions, which, of course, Laura was filling in the blanks for him. That's the other thing that these news people do, is they'll set up the story by filling in as much, as the, as much of the story as humanly possible so that the person that they're actually interviewing who wasn't really doing anything and isn't really, you know, it's, it was a drill. He didn't actually shoot anybody, and he's not a hero, and uh, he wasn't really shot. But, yeah. I mean, they just set up the story so that they don't have to say anything. They don't have to say next to anything. And then, of course, if they get emotional, it's, oh, I'm sorry. It's such an emotional experience for you, I'm sure, and blah, blah, blah. And it's all that, it's all that garbage. It, again, it couldn't be more fake. And to top it all off, there's this. Are you ready? This was just tossed my way from the blaze. It's titled, quote, We're not going back. Uvalde superintendent says students will never return to rob elementary school. School board declines to punish police chief. Because remember, the police exist within that school district. They have their own police chief. They have their own couple of police officers, a deputy. Uh, that's it. So no penalties for anybody. Nobody's being disciplined. Let's all just forget this entire thing happened. Let's all just strike it up to a horrible person who did a horrible thing. And let's just, you know, let's just all slip right back into the matrix. I want to read this because it's ridiculous. It says, quote, the Uvalde School Board held a special meeting on Friday where the decision was made for students and staff to never return to Robb Elementary School. The Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District Board also took no action against the police chief who failed to confront the school shooter because it was a drill. There was no shooter. And they're not going back to this building because they don't have to. They're all multimillionaires now. They're all multimillionaires. 
at least one of the kids. Again, the GoFundMe pages alone. You should go and check that out too. I have a video of that on my BitChu channel also that was sent to me by a listener of the podcast. And then I took a video screen and, and a little quick video of, of the entire thing. One of the students has upwards of 400 some odd thousand dollars just for them. And it just so happens to be the kid who's standing in front of giant monarch wings of a monarch butterfly. The imagery is astounding. It's absolutely astounding. Uh, it continues here, the article, it says, quote, we're not going back to that campus, said Uvalde, Uvalde uh, Consolidated Independent School District Superintendent Hal Harrell at the meeting after the tearful parent said her second grade daughter was traumatized and deathly afraid of going back to school. Quote, we have plans for it to become something other than a school site, Harrell added. During the special meeting of the Board of Trustees, Harrell said, that he expects to have a new location for the school in the very near future. He should. The school alone raised over $5 million on the GoFundMe site, just the school building. There are other Rob Elementary pop-ups that exist that have also received money, not to mention, again, the teacher slash who, who had the husband who had a heart attack the next day, that entire fake story. Well, they're multimillionaires now. Multimillionaires. It's insane. Uh, it continues. It says all. Uh, it says also at the meeting, the board decided to not take any disciplinary action against the school district's police chief. Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo failed to confront the shooter in the barricaded classroom. Texas Department of Public Health, Public Safety, rather, Director Steve McCraw declared that as many as 19 police officers had gathered outside the classroom with the gunman but did not engage the shooter until approximately 75 minutes after the lethal attack began. And then it just blah, 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 law enforcement. Gunman was finally shot and killed, and then it's more lies. It's absolutely astounding here. Um, it says, quote, According to the meeting agenda, Arredondo could have been suspended or terminated, the Epoch Times reported. During the meeting, Harold was, Harold was asked about the investigations into the failure of stopping the gunman in a timely manner, one by Uvalde County District Attorney and one by the Federal Department of Justice. Again, all bought and sold crooks. They're all playing a role. They're all, they're all in the same play together. And it says, I know that people ask about the investigation. I know that investigation's ongoing. I know the DOJ is reviewing the investigation, Harold said. Uh, quote, I want answers just like everybody, but I don't have answers. We've not given, they've not given me answers, so I don't have anything to provide you in that realm. I don't, I wish I did have answers. Arredondo did not attend the school board meeting and has kept a low profile since the mass shooting on May 24th, which didn't happen. Sandy hoax. The Sandy hoax is complete, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Every single play. Every single line in the script, act by act by act, was exactly like Sandy Hook. Crisis actors out in front. Nobody can get their story straight. No one's crying. No tears. A lot of head bobbing and eye waving and, you know, just eyes bouncing around because they can't get their story straight and they're bad actors. No blood, no bullets, no bodies. None of it. And now the school is being torn to the ground. Weird. 
if you still believe this after all of this evidence, then you're looking at things one dimensionally and you aren't, you, you can't be fixed. Again, I've said this in countless episodes. I've written about it. You know that. The people that are out there not telling the truth about this are cowards. They're afraid they're going to get sued. Just like back in 2020, at the end of 2020, when, when people were criticizing Dominion voting machines, they were all afraid they were going to get sued or get a letter from Dominion saying, we're going to sue you for billions of dollars. All these people are afraid to tell the truth. So they're perpetuating this psychological operation by not telling the truth and by not investigating this. Shame on all of them as far as I'm concerned. It's an absolute abomination. This event by itself was a giant stone in the middle of the sidewalk of awakening. And people tripped right over it, fell flat on their face, and right back into amnesia and back into the matrix. They've learned nothing. Absolutely nothing. And like I've said and will continue to say, what's going to happen here in the future with schools and their security measures and their lockdowns and their policies and procedures is going to continue to turn these schools into more of a police state. It's not going to be a good thing. With that said, Pfizer document. Are you ready for this one? I wanted to read this quickly. I randomly chose one of the PDFs on the website, which I've linked in past uh, in, in previous episodes. I think at the last episode, I linked it in the description below. So if you want to get on the website and check out some of these docs, go for it. I want to read one example of, of one of these documents. And within this massive document, it's 330 plus pages long. There are multiple individuals who participated in the human trial of the Pfizer BioNTech jab. Uh, and these are adverse events reported. And here's one of them that I just wanted to read. And then again, I wanted to um, sort of read what summary they concluded at the end of this giant report. Because again, their summary and their suggestions don't match what it is that was actually happening. Ladies and gentlemen, people were dying in the trials. So here's one example. Uh, they've got it numbered, form version, the 22nd of April, 2020. And then the site number and then the subject number and blah, 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 blah. And then it says, adverse event report. Number one, category, adverse event. Then it says, number two, adverse event ID, number one. Three, adverse event. If possible, specify diagnosis, not individual symptom. And again, this is all for one individual, everything that I'm going to read here. And again, for their adverse event, it was myocardial infraction. Start date and time, November 4th, 2020. Is this adverse, and then number five, it says, is the adverse event still ongoing? No. The end date time was November 4th of 2020. Toxicity grade was a four, whatever that means. And then it says number seven, is the adverse event serious? The answer they provided is yes. If yes, then it says Pfizer, notify Pfizer immediately. Uh, did the adverse, did the serious event result in death? The answer, yes. 
Did this serious event require a prolonged hospitalization? The answer was no. Why? Because they were already dead. And then it says, did this serious event result in persistent or significant disability or incapacity? No, because they were already dead. It says, is the serious event life-threatening? The answer was yes. And then no, uh, and then it says, other medical important serious event? The answer was no. Why? Because they're already dead. Number nine, I'm sorry, eight, number eight. It says, is the adverse event the result of a study medication error? If yes, record the type of medication error on the medication error log. The answer they provided was no, that this was not a result of medication error. It says, is the event related to the study treatment? They wrote, not related. If not related to study treatment, this event is due to other. If others specify, and they wrote, hypersensitive cardiovascular disease. So the person received the jabs, died from the jabs, and they're chalking it up to hypersensitive cardiovascular disease, not the jabs. <laughs> it's, it's insane. This cover-up is insane, but it's all right here. Number 10, it says latest action taken with study treatment, not applicable. Again, we're talking about the same individual here. It says number 11, uh, was a concomitant medication given? I don't know what that means. My apologies. The answer was no. Number 12, was a non-drug treatment given? The answer is no. Number 13, was the outcome of this, ad what was the outcome of this adverse event? Answer, fatal. Number 14, did the adverse event cause the subject to be discontinued from the study? Answer, yes, because they're dead. Number 15, Serious adverse event number for Pfizer use only. 2020447660. I don't know what that means. At the bottom, however, it says this regarding its full explanation as to why they think that these studies are important and what it is that they have determined to be sort of their summary outcome. It says the following. And this was on page 330 regarding the BioNTech BNT162B2 jab. Clinical overview. It says, quote, a vaccine program must be implemented ex expediently and rapidly expanded to have a significant impact on the pandemic course. Licensure of BioNTech162B2 is likely to enhance vaccine uptake by facilitating supply of vaccine from Pfizer-BioNTech directly to pharmacies and healthcare providers' facilities. The greatest impact of BNT162B2 licensure may be direct supply to healthcare providers who serve vulnerable populations such as elderly patients and those who live in rural and undeserved communities, i.e., individuals who might be unable to navigate the challenges of securing vaccine access using the symptoms in place for emergency use authorization. That's a nice, that's a nice little code for we want the old to get this and we want poor people to get this, in particular, poor rural minorities. They're openly stating this in their clinical overview. It then says the following, this is horrible. It says expansion of vaccine via licensure would ultimately improve the prospect of achieving population herd immunity 
to bring the pandemic under control. The last section says this, quote, Overall, the potential risks and benefits as assessed by the safety profile and the efficacy and immunogenicity I don't know, of BioNTech 162B230UG is the measurement apparently, are balanced in favor of the potential benefits to prevent COVID-19 in immunized individuals. Likewise, BNT162B230UG benefit and risk profile supports further development in pediatric, maternal, and other at-risk populations, unquote. They're openly stating that they want the elderly, again, and poor minorities to receive this, or anybody in a rural community, so to speak, and that the faster that they can get this licensed, the better it's going to be for everybody, even though in the same document, they're highlighting individuals who are dying from these shots. Even months after it, they receive the month immediately, and then, or they receive the shot immediately, and then they die immediately. That happened in the trial. It's in these documents. I just read it right there. They'll maybe even take the shots in November of 2020, and they're dead by April in 2021. It also mentions, by the way, quote-unquote HIV patients who received this, because there were some. Now again, HIV doesn't exist. Compromised immune systems exist, where again, they test their their um, T-cell count, and, and they test the antibody levels that they have, and if they have a compromised immune system, then they have less of both of those things. They receive the shots, even they themselves receive them. And they clinically calculated that roughly 30% of even them suffered adverse reactions in a weakened immune system as a result of these shots. So, So again, not only is it making people sick and giving people who have quote unquote HIV, making them further sick, it's killing people. You know, these documents aren't necessarily shocking to those of us that know what's going on, but anybody can can glance at these documents and even just read a few paragraphs and take a look at some of these charts. And again, I'm not a medical profession, but, you know, a medical professional, but I can read, I can read the layout of, of an individual who goes through uh, the entire clinical trial, assuming that they survive, and m- many of them haven't, clearly as this particular case is one example. But uh, many of them, again, had massive, massive health problems and, and remained alive. Again, heart attacks, blood clots, the, you know, which of course is what a heart attack ultimately is. But um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. Again, it's, I think it said upwards of 32% ended up with a fever, nausea, chills, Around one percent was vomiting, and it was again for a small for a small uh, a small group of people. But this was done on a number of people before it was rolled out to the general public. And as we know, it was rolled out to the general public very quickly on purpose, for the purpose of killing people. So there you go. I hate to end on a on a bad note here, but that's that's what's in these documents. That's what's going on. Uh, the, you know these these disclosures aren't going to get better. 
And you may notice that people online, in particular in the uh, social media world, so to speak, among the quote-unquote awake, they're talking about this less and less. They're talking about these documents less and less because they've, you know, they're tired of it. I mean, they just, they know that these shots are killing people and that's the way that it is. So I still find it fascinating, the cover-up within the actual documents themselves. That's all. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Let's have a great week and take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.